In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. Our gospel lesson for today recounts for us the calling of Peter, James, and John into the apostolic office. We're pretty sure that Andrew was there also. Jesus taught them for three years, training them to be gospel preachers, and then after dying on the cross to take away the sins of the world and to rise from the dead with eternal life to give, Jesus sent out these apostles, along with other men, as the first pastors of his church. Now, the word apostle simply is the Greek word for one who is sent. God sends preachers who do not have authority on their own, who then speak on his behalf. So in other words, if a preacher is not sent by God, he has no authority to speak for God or on his behalf. Jesus says of them in Luke chapter 10, he who hears you hears me. This means that as hearers of the word, you ought not listen to someone who has not been sent by God, who has not been called to be a pastor in his church. This was kind of a, a troublesome situation in the early days of the Lutheran church in America when fellows would just kind of show up at churches on Sunday mornings asking if they could preach that Sunday. In those days, congregations were very suspicious about this and would often turn men away, which was the right thing to do. This is in response to what the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 10. He says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? So, faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. But the action there that's important is that God has sent the men to preach. Only those who are sent by God are authorized to preach in Jesus' name. God has sent preachers from the time of the prophets and apostles. We heard that with Elijah and Elisha in our Old Testament reading and then the apostles in the uh, gospel reading for today. And he's going to continue to send preachers until the end of time. When Jesus sent out the apostles, he did it directly. He was right there when he did it. But since ascending into heaven, Jesus has called preachers through his church to whom he gave the ministry of the word. God uses the call of the church to send preachers to those who are to be hearers of God's word from the preacher's mouth and believe and thus be saved from their sins. The preacher is just an instrument in what God is doing for his people. It was Jesus Christ himself who instituted and established this ministry of the word when he sent out the apostles as his first ministers. And the duties of this office are really quite simple. Christ's ministers are to preach his gospel and they are to administer his sacraments. If you go to a an ordination for a pastor or an installation, you'll notice that the promises that he makes, it's actually not a very long list, and it all centers in preaching the word and administering the sacraments. This is the net that brings people into the church, much like the net in our gospel reading. 
This is how the minister serves Christ's church. He must faithfully preach and teach what Jesus preached and taught. And this teaching is from heaven. It is from the Holy Spirit. The gospel and the sacraments of Christ are the means by which the Holy Spirit calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth and keeps it with Jesus Christ in the one true faith. Now, <clears throat> the important thing to remember about the ministry is that it is a ministry of the word. This means that it does not come from men. It does not come from our ideas or our own opinions. It comes from Christ himself, who is coming to his people and serving them through the words that he spoke in the scriptures, and he then gives to his ministers to speak today. So when you receive God's word through faith, you have a living hope that's within you. <clears throat> it is true, especially in our day and age, that we live with doubts, and sometimes the doubts can cause us real spiritual pain. But the Holy Spirit brings us confidence through these means of grace, through preaching, through baptism, through the Lord's Supper. He builds up our faith to stand firm in a world that is against us. And so when you begin to doubt your faith and you wonder about your future or even question your salvation, the last thing you should do is to fade away from the church. That's precisely what the enemy wants you to do. Instead, you should run back to church. This is where God is speaking to you in his word that he may strengthen your faith. The gospel is not just dead words on a page, but it is, as St. Paul says, the power of God for salvation. And through this word, God attacks our doubts and replaces it with certainty so that we might have true faith in his word. The fact that God chooses to live within us in the midst of our sins and doubts shows us exactly how much he loves us. He won't abandon us in his need, in our need. We may waver, we may doubt, but God instead continues to come to us and he remains with us. Our baptism is just the first example of how this happens. He washes us that day that we go to the font and it remains the washing of rebirth and renewal all the days of our lives. We're not just reborn once, the day that we're baptized, but it's something that God continues to do for us and in us. As daily the old man in us is drowned and killed, that a new man might emerge and arise to live before God in righteousness and purity forever. This is what St. Peter means in our epistle reading for today when he says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Now, that may sound a little bit strange to honor God as holy since God is already holy. How can you honor him and make him something that he already is? Well, we're not actually changing the character of God when we honor him. Instead, what St. Peter is telling us is that we are acknowledging him for who and what he truly is. And before we can confess to others, we have to know what we believe and in whom we trust. This is where we must take great care not to take a single bit of credit for our salvation. Faith doesn't produce itself. We don't make a decision for Jesus and, and then suddenly believe in him. We don't 
make that up by our own will. The one and only source of our faith is the gospel of Christ crucified for us. And it is the sacraments by which we are born from above and sustained by Christ's body and blood. The source of our faith keeps us in the faith, and this is how then we now acknowledge Christ and believe that he is holy in our hearts. When our faith is uncertain, we look at how God confirms us in a living faith. We look to see where Jesus has promised to be. We set aside Jesus in our hearts by looking at Jesus lifted up on the cross for us, that he remains holy in our hearts. And so, you are all Christians. What do you believe? What do you hope for the future? What exactly is that hope? Now, thinking about these questions, would you be able to answer them kind of catechism class style? Can you confess the faith into which you were baptized? Can you give anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that you hold? You know, people usually know quite a bit about those things that they care about. They become experts on cars and sports, politics, movies, music, Star Trek, whatever it might be, without really setting their minds to being experts in those things. They're interested in them, and so they naturally get to know about those things that interest them. But what about theology? You know, theology is just a fancy Greek word that just means that we are talking about God. Theology just means God talk, essentially. This means that theology is not just for guys like me. All of you, I assume, at some point in your lives, talk about God. And when you do that, you're doing theology. And in fact, it ought to be the, the topic of daily conversation in every Christian home. It is not only the preachers who ought to be interested in theology, for when we talk as, uh, as what we believe as Christians, we are talking about the most important thing, so that we might be ready to give a defense for the hope that is in our hearts. St. Peter urges us today and encourages us, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. So why do you believe what you believe? On what does your hope rest? How do you know that you're going to heaven and are you sure? Can you confess what you believe and why you believe it? Now, there's nothing wrong with going to your pastor with questions about what God's word teaches us. That's the beauty, by the way, about Bible class, is you can go and you can kind of ask questions. Or, you know, you can call me on the phone anytime you'd like. In fact, your pastor is your servant to speak God's word to you in whatever need that you might have. But I also can't believe for you either. Nobody can believe for another man. Faith is personal, and the true Christian faith does not rest on the unformed feelings or religious emotions. It must rest on the word of God. It rests on the doctrine that Christ has revealed to us in his scriptures, centered in his suffering and death for us. It is focused on the forgiveness of sins, and it also lives from every word that comes from the mouth of God. When Jesus 
repeats this passage from the Old Testament in his temptation, he's telling us that absolutely everything God says to us is important. He doesn't talk just to hear himself talk. He wants us to receive his teaching as if we're actually hungry for it. When Christians begin to think that they filled up on God's word, they begin to lose interest in learning it. Sort of like when you're sitting at the table and you've had a, a full dinner and somebody then comes along and, and brings another course for you. If you're not hungry, you're not going to be interested in it. Likewise, if we think that we're fold up on God's word, we're not going to be interested in learning it. Instead, we learn to despise the true teaching. Those who are full on God's word want something else to tickle their desires for what is exciting. They tire of repenting of their sins and crying out for God to be gracious and merciful to them in their sins for the sake of Jesus. They tire of the same old law and gospel preaching that tells them to live by mercy. They want to rise above the daily contrition and repentance to which God has called them in their baptism. And that's the biggest reason why there are so many unfaithful preachers in the world today. There is a demand for them. St. Paul even predicted this day would come. He wrote to young Pastor Timothy, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. God calls every Christian to defend his faith. It is your Christian duty to make sure that your pastor preaches nothing else than the pure and wholesome word of God. It is never just the preacher's ministry. For that ministry belongs to Christ and he has given it to the whole church on earth. And so, as God has called you to make sure that your pastor is preaching the true word of God, so also has he called on you to defend the hope that God has given to you. When we do this, God himself speaks through us just as surely as he speaks through his called and ordained pastors. What a tragedy to see such sincere conviction when we see Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses going door to door promoting a false and, and religion-destroying faith when Christians, like us who have the pure gospel, are kind of squeamish about confessing Jesus to our neighbors. When we are called upon to defend our Christian hope, we can't delegate that to others, for our duty is to confess the word of God and him alone. We confess, we defend, we take our stand on the truth by which we are saved. We don't do it in a spirit of arrogance or pride, but in humility and fear. We live by mercy, and it is only God's grace and by his grace that we know the truth. And so we, in turn, confess that truth. And then after that, after that confession comes suffering. St. Peter here warns us that we may suffer for righteousness' sake. It may be... That in 2020, you may be called a bigot for confessing what the Bible teaches about marriage. You may be called a fundamentalist for confessing that Jesus is the only way to the Father. 
you may be called upon to suffer for righteousness sake. But though you may suffer for your confession, St. Peter reminds us of some of the first words that our Lord Jesus ever preached to us. He quotes the Sermon on the Mount, basically, and he says that when we suffer, we'll actually be blessed by our Father in heaven. Do you remember the words of Jesus? He said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It is tempting to look at our suffering, especially when we've been faithful in hearing God's word, in receiving the sacrament, and think that it means that when we suffer, God does not care for us, that he has abandoned us, or worse, that God maybe isn't real. We view our lives through the lens of our suffering rather than through the lens of the suffering of Jesus. This is why we must not look within ourselves for peace and comfort, for we are as fickle as the weather in the state of Indiana. So where do we look? What do we hope on? Our hope is a hope of eternal life. On what does that hope rest? It rests on Jesus, who is your Savior, who took away your sins upon the cross, and he gives you his eternal life in his gospel and in his sacraments. If you died today, where would you go? Well, most certainly, dear friends in Christ, you would be with your Savior in heaven. And how do you know that this is true? This is true because Jesus has purchased and won you, not with gold or silver, but with his holy, precious blood and with his innocent suffering and death. For he cannot lie to you, for he does not go back on his promises. Your hope is certain because it rests not on our outward circumstances or how things are going on our lives or, or whatever our religious feelings might be. No, it rests on something far more certain and far more solid than that. It rests on Jesus and him crucified for you. And so I ask you, dear Christian friends, do you believe this? And if so, then confess it. Defend it, and don't you ever back away from it. For it is by the work of Christ that we are saved from suffering and from death, and it is by Jesus that we will be raised from the dead on the last day. In Jesus' name. Amen. And now the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord.